0: What are you looking for tonight? What are you looking for in your life? What do you want to see in it and in this world? These questions often disturb, they confuse, they even unsettle people. And this is true even among Christians today. Looking at some statistics, it's easy to see that a, a lot of Christians don't know the power and uniqueness of the faith they hold to be true. Some go to church, even support the church. (laughs) They even participate in its activities. Yet it doesn't seem to find a place in their everyday lives. Clayton Sullivan, in his book called uh, Called to Preach, Condemned to Survive, compares people's sentiment toward religion today like a grandfather clock. A grandfather clock that's become a family heirloom. You know, it's, it's polished, it's dusted regularly. <laughs> it's got a place of honor there, probably in the living room. Yet no one notices if it's functioning. There's no expectation that the grandfather clock is going to tell time or regulate their life or anything. There's no concern as to whether the grandfather clock's working or not. <clears throat> At the same time, though, nobody wants to get rid of it. It's always been part of the family. It was a lot like that for the people in our gospel lesson today. John the baptizer looks at Jesus and he says, he's finally here. Look, the Lamb of God. But many just, yeah. Ooh, that almost made me cough. Many yawned at that proclamation. The people of Israel, they, they've been anxiously waiting for a long time to see the Messiah promised to them by God. For hundreds of years, God had again and again renewed his promise that a Savior would come. A Savior would come. The people waited. And then they lost interest. How come? Well, they started looking for the wrong person. Looking for the wrong man. A man in shining armor who would free them from the Roman Empire. Like Moses had freed them from slavery in Egypt. <laughs> and now, <clears throat> the day finally come. God's last prophet before Jesus, that's John the Baptist, was proclaiming that there's no more waiting, no more wondering, no more questioning as to whether or not God would really send them the promised Messiah. John says he's here, look and see. But John says something very strange to their, to their ears, <clears throat> at least to their expectations. He doesn't say, oh, here he is, the Messiah who will socket to Rome and save us all from the Romans. No. Rather, he says, Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In that day, many went to synagogue. They went through the religious services. They listened to their teachers. They tried to obey the rules and regulations put upon them by the priests and Pharisees. But religion and the application of religion to real life, it just became... Ceremony and ritual. It had lost meaning for their lives. That's what Clayton Sullivan said with that grandfather clock illustration. That's what he said is often also quite often happening today. We Not the rituals and stuff, but application to life. <clears throat> We're happy enough to have Christianity around, but in terms of how we actually live, it's like Irrelevant. And that's why John's call to the people of Israel, Israel echoes also in our lives. It's as if he's saying, whoa up, stop, and take another look at your life, get serious about what you really need, and then look at Jesus anew. Who is he to you? Simply someone you call on when you're in trouble or have a difficult problem with to solve? merely your momentary knight in shining armor who will hopefully charge into your life and help you overcome a sickness or a difficult situation, depression, or a life and death situation? <laughs> or is he the two things that John testified that he was? The Lamb of God, come to take away your sins and the sins of the world, as well as, too, the Spirit-anointed King, risen from the dead, and present to fill you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he also declares to us, I saw the Spirit descend and remain on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Both things are way more significant than any of the things that normally distract and worry us. They're way more foundational than our usual daily stuff. Let's look at them. Let's look at the lamb thing first. When you hear that, lamb, what comes to your mind? Do you see a cute little lamb held in a child's arms maybe? Or a shepherd carrying a little lamb as he leads a flock to pasture? Nice. But not the picture here, I'm afraid. When John the Baptist spoke these words, he had something totally different in mind. Because remember, I don't know if you remember this, but John the Baptist was the son of a priest. His father Zechariah was a priest. Which meant that he knew that priests had to often sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the people. Also clear in his mind was the Jewish Passover feast. Helping them remember how in Egypt God saved the Israelites, Israelites by the blood of a lamb smeared on the on the doorposts of the house, causing the angel of death to pass over them. Above all, for John, were the words of Isaiah, prophesying the coming of the Messiah like this. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. Yet he bore the sins of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors the lamb lamb like that Jesus is that lamb The one word lamb sums up the love, the sacrifice, the suffering and the triumph of Jesus <laughs> In Verdun, Germany, there's a church that has a carved figure of a lamb near the top of the church's tower When the church was being built, a workman fell from a high scaffold. His co-workers rushed down, expecting to find him dead. But to their surprise and joy, he was alive and only slightly injured. How did he survive? Well, a flock of sheep was passing underneath the tower just at that time, and he landed on top of a lamb. The lamb broke his fall, was crushed to death, but the man was saved. To commemorate this miracle, someone carved a lamb on the tower at the exact height from which that workman fell. That's the picture John is giving us, the Lamb of God, who was crushed and died to save us from our fall into sin. The love he has for you, the reconnection to God he gives you through the forgiveness of sin, this is more important, more foundational than anything else. Reconnection with God. You know, that's not just some old grandfather clock in the front room. What is this? By comparison, this is a a new boat sitting at your dock waiting for you to jump in and go someplace good. Wow. Wow. But please listen carefully, because in addition to Lamb of God, there's a second super-significant thing that John tells us about Jesus. John declares that the Holy Spirit descends on him and remains on him. Now, in the Old Testament, there were a few people who experienced the Holy Spirit, you know, shavooping down on them for a limited, limited amount of time to get them through some crisis or empower them for a particular task. Think of Samson. Many of you will know the story of Samson. Samson suddenly being given amazing strength to single-handedly fight off a whole battalion of Philistines. The Bible tells us that it was the Holy Spirit who shavooped, it doesn't say shavooped, but it's a great word, who shavooped down on Samson and gave him that strength. But then, job over, the Spirit left Samson again. In our reading Tonight, John, Bap- John the Baptist tells everybody that what's here in Jesus is way more than what anyone has seen in the Old Testament. The Spirit descends and remains on Jesus. <coughs> Jesus is anointed, not with oil, as kings and priests of old were, but he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He is the spirit anointed, spirit drenched, spirit filled man par excellence. The Holy Spirit flows to him, in him, and through him. To put it this way, Jesus is the God-given spigot through whom the Holy Spirit from heaven is now poured out on humankind. Jesus the Lamb takes away your sins, unblocking the pipe for Jesus the spigot to then fill you with the Holy Spirit. In the words of John... He himself baptized with water, but this Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Why is this exciting? I think you can tell I'm excited about it. Why is it exciting? What or who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. This is about being connected and filled with God. Being God, the Holy Spirit has always existed, as has Jesus, God the Son, But at a certain time in history, like around 2 B.C., the Son of God also became a human being on this little planet, born of the Virgin Mary. We just celebrated all that. But that's not something that ever happened to the Holy Spirit. He never took on human flesh, but has always remained in spiritual form. Consequently, He doesn't come to us in body and blood, but always in a spiritual form. But the crucial point is that He does come to people And he interacts personally with people. For purposes of illustration about the Holy Spirit, I would like to compare what the Spirit does with an icebreaker. Do you know what that is? An icebreaker? It's a ship. All the examples I know of are Coast Guard ships, either American or Canadian. Which serve in Arctic waterways, wherever the shipping lanes freeze up. There's also a one or two icebreakers on the Great Lakes. The thing about an icebreaker is the hull is made of especially thick, strong steel, and its engines are so powerful that it can bust through ice, even thick ice, in a freeze-up. Here's what happens. A normal freighter, or even a passenger ship, will somehow get caught in the ice late in the season, suddenly unable to move, Before there were icebreakers, those ships would remain right there in the ice through the whole winter. There's nothing they could do. However, now it doesn't have to be that way because they'll radio for help to a Coast Guard icebreaker which comes along and busts the freighter out of there, clearing a channel through the ice that the freighter can follow and get to where it's supposed to go. Icebreakers transform a trapped Cold and unchangeable situation into freedom, and I compare them to the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians three seventeen says, "Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." <coughs> oh, that didn't sound good. <clears throat> now, Jesus, the Lamb of God, <coughs> provides us with forgiveness, so that we're received, accepted, and and belong to God. <coughs> However, in our flesh, that is, in our minds, in our emotions, and in our wills, that's what constitutes the flesh, our minds, our wills, our emotions, the presence of sin remains, even though it's forgiven. It's forgiven, but it's still there. Also, still there are habits and patterns and lies. Habits and patterns and lies, oh my. These things are in us. And though we're forgiven, nevertheless, they, they can freeze us up solid. To overcome them, we need more than forgiveness. We need power. Power to break out of old ways and live in new ones. Otherwise, we'll be forgiven, but frozen. We need the icebreaker of the Holy Spirit to bust us out. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete. You may have heard that word before. It's a Greek word meaning literally one who comes alongside. Exactly. Comes alongside like an icebreaker. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and frees and empowers and equips us to go in God's new directions for us. Like what? What's a new direction for us? So many. give some examples. Being merciful. God wants us to forgive as we've been forgiven. But you know, in practice... You're never really able to forgive and bless that person who did you such dirt until the mercy of God toward you overwhelms you. It can't just be an idea or a principle. You have to be overwhelmed with the sense of it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He overwhelms you with the sense of the grace and the mercy of God for you. It's totally empowering. And it breaks you out of the ice of bitterness, enables you to obey God. Or here's another new direction witnessing to others about God. Frankly, you and I won't do it. Inside, we've got too many reasons not to a fear of rejection. You know, they'll call us weirdo. Just a sense just a sense that you, you can't do this. It's like being in an ice pack. Movement is not going to happen. Till the Holy Spirit comes along and gives you such a sense of the reality of Jesus and what he's done that you actually can't help but tell people about it. You just, it just starts leaking out of you. You start telling people. It's like people who love their dogs and can't stop talking about them. They love to talk about that. Some of you here might be dog lovers. You love to talk about your dog. Yak, yak, yak. Dog's a reality in your life. Talk about the dog. Well, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus and the gospel message as real to you as your dog. At that point, you just start witnessing. It's the most natural thing in the world. Or take generosity. God's direction is to give 10%. It's called a tithe. But our fears about not having enough, our belief that money is so important for so many reasons and so hard to get, etc, they keep our giving locked in ice. Not until the Holy Spirit fills us does anything really change? Now Because why? Because God is an idea, or God is a doctrine, is not going to pay our bills, and we know it. So it all stays locked up. However, When the Holy Spirit fills us, well, that's a new reality. It's the reality of God filling us. God is the provider of everything, and he's actually with me. I cannot sense that. That's when new levels and directions in our giving happen. Let me get off the icebreaker thing and and change metaphors here. Imagine a little kid separated from her parents at the Smithhaven Mall. The security guy has taken the child to the mall offices while other staff are looking for the parents. The child is crying, terrified, on the verge of going into the fetal position. A nice lady on the mall staff says, "Uh, Okay, dear, listen, your, your mom and dad are here. They're in the mall. They love you. They'll be here soon. All these words are true. Do they have any effect on the child? No. What does help? Actually seeing mom and dad coming down the hall. And you know what's even better, even even more empowering? When dad picks up his little girl in his arms and kisses her. Her fears are gone. She's safe. There's no way she's going to go into the fetal position now. She's free, ready to go in a new and happy direction. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is like that. The love of God, the things from the Bible that you believe are true, are made real to you. You say, was I not given the Holy Spirit in my baptism? Yes, you certainly were. Similarly, I was given an electric back massager as a Christmas present. I never use it. There can be a lot of things we've been given that we don't make use of. There's a fleet of very able Coast Guard icebreakers. But if a ship doesn't radio for help, that ship will remain in the ice. So step one is faith. Believe what God's word says. There is a Holy Spirit. He is God himself, and he's been given to you. Step two, pray. Radio for help. Say, come, Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm done with trying to get out of the ice on my own steam. Come, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Bow your knee and your heart to the Holy Spirit. The Lord himself will take it from there. Believe in the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Jesus asked Andrew and his friend, what are you seeking? Friend, hear that same question. What are you seeking? Is it not Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away your sins and gives you a fresh new start? And is it not Jesus, the risen, anointed King, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit? He's here. Here for you. He's here for me. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus for life everlasting. Amen.